Amen. So we're going to, we're going to read from God's Word this, this morning, uh, reading from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 uh, down to verse 39. And we're uh, going to think this morning about how we wait in hope. Waiting in hope. And we're reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 18 down to verse 39. So if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you that you would open it um, so that you've got it for during the sermon. But if you don't, then the words will appear for you as well just now. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We pray that God would bless this reading 
of his holy word to us. I love Romans, the, the book of Romans, but I, I love in particular Romans chapter 8. It is so rich. There is so much in it that we could spend weeks and months going through it and still never get to the depth of the beauty and the richness of the truth of this chapter of God's Word. For me, personally, Romans chapter 8 is a bit like um, a chapter which you're basically saying, so I'm a Christian. So what does that mean? And I think we see in Romans chapter 8 how being a follower of Jesus, how it actually works and how it carries itself in our day-to-day life. Now, all of God's Word does that, obviously. But I think in particular, Romans chapter 8, we really do see some really key and fundamental things for the Christian life that we are secured because of our relationship with Jesus. I had a really good week off last week and the sun was shining. Uh, I somehow managed to get sunburnt in Mount Vernon in April. I don't, that might be a first ever, um, but I managed to get sunburnt somehow last week in about 14 degrees sun. I don't need to go abroad. Costa del Mount Vernon is more than hot enough for me in April. But one of the things we did in our, our day off, our week off, we, we went to a few different parks. And as we were driving to one of these parks, um, Joel asked us a really interesting question. Obviously, we've been thinking about Easter over a few weeks ago and how Jesus died and how he rose again. And now he's gone to heaven and we're telling him that you know, one day Jesus is going to come back. So as we were going to the park this day in the car, we just got into the car in the driveway And Joel asked us this question. He said, is Jesus coming back today? So Becca turned to him and she said, sweetie, we don't don't know, but um, maybe not. Who knows? But uh, we're not sure. Probably not today. So Joel said to us, so if Jesus isn't coming back today, then what are we going to do today? So because Jesus wasn't returning that day, Joel could then make plans. Because Jesus wasn't coming back, we could then do something with that day. And it got me thinking, as he asked that question, just with a real innocence in his life and in his heart, and just that childlike faith that Christ is going to come back one day, and because it wasn't that day, we could then be productive. We could then go and do something with our day, because there's no point in making plans that day, mummy and daddy, if Jesus was going to come back in the morning. Is Jesus coming back today? We don't know. We don't know. Is he coming back tomorrow? We don't know. We do know that he's going to come back and he's going to take us to be with him. But I wonder if that kind of thinking about when is Jesus returning, does that impact your life and how you conduct yourself day to day? Do you ever think, is Jesus going to come back today? Personally, I have to be honest and say sometimes, most of the times, I don't. Sometimes when I'm sitting in meetings, (laughs) I do pray, Jesus, I wish you would come back now. But if I was honest with you, it often doesn't even come into my thinking. I'm so busy making plans that I don't even think about when Jesus is coming back or that longing for our Savior to return, to take us to be with him. What is it you are living for? What are you living for? 
Where is your attention focused? What is the driving force in your life? Is it the next paycheck? Next promotion? Politics? Are you living for Scotland at the Euros? In, in themselves, these are not bad things. But when they become the driving force of our life, then we have a bit of an issue, don't we? Can you really say that Jesus is enough? Can you really say with all sincerity of heart that Jesus is enough? That if everything else in your life was stripped away, if you were like Job in the Old Testament and everything else was taken away from you, but you still had your relationship with the Lord, could you say, Jesus, you would be more than enough? These are some really challenging questions. All from Joel's wee question as we went to Drumpelier Park a couple of days ago. You see, friends, where our attention lies, it then dictates how we live day to day. And we will see in our passage this morning about where and how Paul was telling the church in Rome and how God is telling his church today through his holy word, how we are to be living our lives. And verse 17 is, is a key verse for this, and I'll just read it to you, the last wee bit of it. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Given that we suffer, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I think we'd all say, yes, I'm up for being glorified. I'm up for this glorification that's going to come on the last day when we go to be with Jesus. But actually, see that suffering stuff, you can keep that for yourself. I'd quite like just a comfortable wee life and just get by day to day, just living from day to day. And just whenever Jesus comes back, that's okay. I just want the glorified part. But see, Paul is saying here that the suffering with him, provided that we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. If we are living Christ-like lives, if we are living and carrying out how God wants his bride to live in this life, let me tell you something. Hardship, persecution, suffering, tests, trials, they're going to come our way. They are going to come our way because scripture tells us that they will. And verse 17 is like this opening lens as the conversation carries on. And actually, I think it changes the way. When we hold on to that suffering part of this passage, I think it changes the way. Well, it changes the way I read the, the verse that many of us know and will have heard of about, and we know that the, for those who love God, all things work together for good. I think it changes when we understand that the context of that verse and the, the, the verse later on in our chapter about nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That we're more than conquerors through Christ. It changes when we understand that this is in the context of, of hardship and suffering. Difficult times. Who hasn't had 
a difficult time over the last number of weeks and months. Many of us have struggled. Many of us have been isolated uh, or, or, or lost jobs and, and lost income, lost loved ones, lost memories. Missed out on this and missed out on that. You know, it's, it's Malachi's uh, second birthday tomorrow. Where has the last two years gone? For most of his life, he's been spent it within the months. So many of us have missed out on so many milestones in life. It's been a hard year. But friends, being a Christian, I want to show us this morning that actually in our passage in Romans that it changes how we carry ourselves through difficulties. Not all of us, but I think many would agree that in a sense, in the West, we've grown very comfortable in our Christian walk. There's maybe even a bit of entitlement has begun to creep into the, the thinking of the church. And we have forgotten that we are in a spiritual battle. That actually, when we read the New Testament, persecutions and suffering and, and hardship and tests and trials, that these things were just part and partial and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. But yet we, in, in the West, we, we actually just struggle about what is somebody going to think about me? Let alone if we're going to get put to the sword. We read in verse 35. Where many people in the world who are following Jesus are having to do so with a real fear of their life. And in our passage this morning, Paul is he's speaking in the context of suffering with Christ in order that we may also be glorified with him. And this thing about suffering, Paul gives us three encouragements, three key points for encouragement that we're going to spend time looking at this morning. Even if you're going through suffering, even if you're going through hardships, even if you're going through persecution, he gives us three key encouragements for the life of any believer. This is what they are. Verses 18 to 25, the glory that is to come. Verses 26 and 27, the help of the Holy Spirit. And verses 28 to 30, that ultimately, that everything will work out for good for those who love God. Because God is sovereign. Three key encouragements. That there's glory coming. The Holy Spirit's here to help us in our day-to-day -day lives. And that God is sovereign and that he's working out his purposes, which are ultimately for the good for anyone who loves him. See, it's so important that we understand that when we become a Christian, that when we give our hearts to Jesus and we ask him to forgive us, that we don't then just live in a vacuum. We don't live in some sort of bubble where, um, where, 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 we're just, where we're exempt from any hardships or any difficulties in this life. Life doesn't become a bed of roses overnight because we become a new creation. 
But what it does do is that at every moment in our life, because we've turned to Christ, every moment of our life, the highs and the lows, they have purpose. And they're ultimately for our good and for his glory. So Paul's first grounds for encouragement, what are they? It is at these, this glory that is to come. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings that we face here and now in our day-to-day lives, that they are nothing in comparison to the future and the glory that is to come, that is to be revealed to us. And this is again speaking about this inheritance that Paul has previously spoken about in Romans chapter 8 that we have because we're heirs with Christ. That we have this future. And we thought about it a couple of weeks ago in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 about this bride who is adorned, this glory that is going to happen. We thought about a number of weeks ago, even before that, about Easter Sunday, uh, where we thought about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that when Christ returns and he calls us to be with him, how we will be changed like within the twinkling of an eye. That there is a day coming, folks. There is a day coming when this, the glory of God is going to be revealed to us. And actually, the glory that's going to be revealed to us, it is nothing in comparison. It is so much bigger. It's so much better. It's so much more beautiful than anything that we might face in this life. That anything that we go through, hardship, trials, even COVID-19, it is not worth comparing with the glory That is to be revealed to the children of God. Paul contrasts the suffering that we face in this life with the glory that awaits those that are in Christ Jesus. Do you see how Paul is living? Paul is living out the prayer, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. His focus is so much, as he said in Colossians, about being thinking and focusing the things that are above. He's thinking and he's living his life out with the reality and the assurance that there is a day coming, that this glory is going to be revealed. And actually, the hope that he has, it changed how he lived his day-to-day life. And friends, that's the amazing thing about God's word and the gospel that we have and the hope that we have. That the hope that we have, it changes how we live. It's not meant to be the other way around. It's not that the hardships and the trials and the persecutions that we go through, they don't change the hope we have. But the hope that we have changes how we face these trials and tribulations. That's one of the things we see with Paul. In the children's video we thought about, yes, he lived in this world. But he lived in this world being dictated by the future that he had. As he says, in, I think it's in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Everything he had was given to Jesus. 
And if only we could understand that this life that we live, friends, is just a flicker. It's just a moment in time in comparison to the eternity that awaits those that are in Jesus Christ. It works either one of two ways. If we focus and get bogged down in the difficulties of life and the sufferings that we have to endure for a moment, and we let them absorb us, then we blot out and we forget the glory that God has in store for his people and that awaits us. But if we constantly live as the gospel and the New Testament tells us and encourage us to live, if we constantly live with eyes fastened upon Jesus, with the, secured, the knowledge of the secured hope and the inheritance that we have within him, then it changes how we deal with sufferings. Because the glory that awaits us far outweighs anything that we might endure in this life. Now that doesn't downplay how challenging this life is. That doesn't mean that as Christians we live in this naive wee world with our heads in the clouds. And we sweep any difficulties under the carpet and we don't want to deal with them because we are just so fixated on heaven. That's not what Paul is saying here. We still cry with those who cry. We still weep with those who weep. We still put our arm around and look to support and encourage any that go through hardship. Anyone who's got a broken heart. Anyone who is going through any difficult times. Our calling and duty as Christians is still to love them and be with them and comfort them and walk with them. Paul never says forget your sufferings or ignore your sufferings or, or, or just sweep them under the carpet. I don't want to hear about them. That's not what Paul is saying here. But what he is saying and what the New Testament tells us time and time again is that we are to live with a heavenly perspective that changes our earthly reality. That the hope of glory that we have, it changes how we pray. The hope of glory that we have, it changes how we do mission. The hope of glory that we have, it changes how we father, how we mother, how we're a husband or a wife or a daughter or a son or an auntie or an uncle or a friend. How we ha how we, the hope that we have in Jesus, it needs to change who we are in this life. It needs to, it must, because we're new creations. And we still go through hardship. We still go through sufferings. And if you are going through a difficult time just now, let me tell you this, that what a friend you have in Jesus. All your needs and griefs to bear. And it is such a privilege to carry everything to the Lord in prayer. And he is a friend that sticks closer than any brother. And the Holy Spirit is here to be our comforter and our advocate and our helper. And God cares about what you're going through right now. That's why, he, why the good shepherd left the 99 to go and find the one sheep. Because he cares about his sheep. But let the hope you have in Christ. Let it be how you respond to everything in this life. And don't let your sufferings diminish the hope you have of glory. 
Because nothing can take away what is yours in Christ Jesus. And we've all met somebody. We've all met that person. And maybe somebody's coming to mind even now as I say these words. We've all met someone, a godly Christian, and it doesn't matter what they go through in this life. It doesn't matter what they are faced with. It doesn't matter what comes their way. They just don't ever seem to waver. Or they just always seem so optimistic. And they're such a, uh, it's not just that their glass is half full, but their glass is always full and running over. They always just have this incredible peace and you've never heard them complain and it doesn't matter what they go through. Why is that? Well, I think it's because they've understood the importance of verse 18. That the suffering of this present time is nothing in comparison to the glory that awaits that is to be revealed to us. And it's not just us that awaits this glory. That's what Paul says in verses 19 to 22 or 23. Creation itself is groaning. Creation is longing. Creation is awaiting the glory that is to be revealed to the sons or the the children of God. See, when Adam sinned, one of the consequences was that he'd have to work hard to get food from the ground and creation was placed under this curse. And ever since then, it's been living under this curse, under the bondage of sin. And it itself is waiting and longing for this day when the glory of God is revealed to the sons and the children of God. And again, this this speaks and reminds us of this new heaven and this new earth, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 23, Paul says this, And not only the creation is longing, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It's not just the physical world that's awaiting eagerly, but we ourselves, we should be longing and hoping and eagerly calling and praying When was the last time you prayed that ancient prayer? Come, Lord Jesus, come. So one of the things that challenges me in the New Testament is just how how the early church, they lived their day-to-day life as if Jesus was going to come back imminently. He was going to come back there and then. And see if we began to think like that, if we began to live out verse 23 about eagerly awaiting this return and revelation and redemption of our bodies. If we began to eagerly anticipate that moment, I think it would drastically change how we as the church in Scotland and off Scotland lived our lives. There would be such a bigger urgency for mission and for gospel proclamation, wouldn't there? If we thought Jesus was going to come back first thing tomorrow morning, we had until nine o'clock tomorrow morning, I would hope that you would be going to the highways and byways, the furthest points, the closest people, and telling them and pleading with them to put their hope and trust in Jesus. God, give us that urgency of the gospel once again in this land. The amazing thing for those who have put their hope and trust in Jesus already is that we have this hope of glory that far outweighs anything that we may face in this life. 
And he goes on and he talks about this hope in verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. Now don't get confused. And don't misunderstand what it's saying here when it says that we're saved by hope. You can't just put your hope in anything and hope that it's going to save you. That's not what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 8. There is only one way to salvation. There is only one way to God the Father, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. There isn't many roads up one mountain. There is only one door. There is only one gate, and his name is Jesus. Jesus makes that exclusively clear in the Gospels, and the Scriptures tell us that. There is only one way to God the Father. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father but by him. So this hope that Paul is speaking about that we are saved in is not just a hope in anything. It's not a a, a hoping that, that Scotland do well in the Euros. That's not what this hope is. This hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hope and he is the hope of glory for the children of God. We are saved by faith alone in Christ's atoning work. But here's the thing, friends. Our salvation in Jesus is characterized by hope. Because you have Jesus, because Jesus is more than enough, because Jesus is all you need, It doesn't matter what this life throws at you. Your hope can never be shaken. Because as we read from Isaiah, God is an everlasting rock. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And Paul again points forward here, doesn't he? He points forward about this hope that we have. Looking forward, living for, but not just living for heaven. But living from the assurance of it. Living from the assurance of salvation that we have in Jesus. It changes everything. It changes how we suffer. If you are standing at a bus stop. I've used the bus stop analogy a few times now. If you were standing at a bus stop and you saw this bus coming along the road, you wouldn't say to yourself, I hope the bus comes soon, would you? What's the point in that? Because you can see it. You can see that the bus is there. But if you were waiting at the bus stop and you had no sight of the bus and you couldn't see it, you would be at liberty then to say, oh man, I hope that this bus turns up soon. And that's what Paul's point is here, that we don't put our hope in things that we can see, but our hope is in what we do not see. And when we're hoping in what we do not see, we have to have patience. As Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of what we hope for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Do you remember just after the resurrection, when the disciples are gathered in the, the upper room and, and Thomas says these words that, 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 that unless I see the nails in his hands, unless I get to put my fist or my finger in the side, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't believe. 
I'm not going to believe unless I physically see it. Unless Jesus proves himself to me, I'm not going to believe it. Then a week later, Jesus turns up and he says to Thomas, put your finger in the nail marks. Put your hand in my sight. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas, he cries out this wonderful declaration, this wonderful profession, my Lord and my God. Jesus doesn't leave the lesson there. Jesus goes on and says to him, because you have seen me, Thomas, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Bride of Christ, that is you. You are blessed. You are blessed because you have, you have believed even though you have not physically seen you have believed and you have grasped hold of that hope of glory. And this morning, I think there's at least one person watching who resonates with Thomas's story, who resonates with it. And, and, and maybe Jesus is saying exactly the same thing to you this morning. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Second point and it's a lot shorter at this point, don't worry, is that we have the down payment of the Holy Spirit. That God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us and to equip us and empower us in our day-to-day -day lives. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not face the suffering and trials and tribulations by ourselves or on our own or through our own strength, but the Holy Spirit empowers and equips us to be able to do what God's Word is calling of us, to live with that hope of glory. We're not meant to do things in and of ourselves, in and of our own strength. We're meant to do it through the Holy Spirit, God's very presence that lives and dwells within us. And what is it the Holy Spirit does? Not only does he equip us and help us, but he himself intercedes for us. You know those times when you're going through difficulties and hardship. And you know, you're maybe going through one right now and you don't even have the words to pray. Whenever you try to pray, your heart just breaks and the tears start coming. And all you have to offer is a groan. Well, let me tell you this. That is enough. Because the Holy Spirit, He Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. See, God doesn't just save you and then leave you by yourself. He saves you, equips you, carries you, keeps you safe. And his Holy Spirit is working in and through you. Then the third encouragement is this. And it's birthed out of the hope that we have of glory. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And the third encouragement is this. And it's birthed out of the hope that we have in Christ. That God is in control. He is sovereign. And he holds you in the palm of his hand. And he is working out his perfect plans and his purposes. How often have we heard these verses about things working out together for our good for those who love God? And maybe you didn't even know that it comes in the context of suffering. That regardless of what we go through, regardless of what happens, we have to trust the potter. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The potter knows what he's doing with his clay. Trust him. He is sovereign. He is good. He is merciful. And he's working out his plans for your good according to his purposes. God hasn't stopped being sovereign just because a global pandemic has hit. God hasn't stopped being sovereign just because you're going through a difficult time or suffering. So let his purpose be what fuels your prayers. Let his purpose be the strength that you get as you go through your trials and sufferings and your hardships, which you will face in this life because we live in a fallen world. Let his hope of glory be the thing that anchors you and be the lens that you view everything through in this life. And let the Holy Spirit work in and through you. Be the one who equips and empowers your prayers. And even when you don't have the words to say, know this, that God himself by his Holy Spirit is forever interceding for you through the groanings of your heart. And last thing is this, verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We'll touch on this a lot more next week because this is going to be a two-parter. God chose you, he's saved you, and he will glorify you. Do not lose sight of him, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let his love and the hope of glory that you have be the anchor for your soul. And may you say, it is well with my soul, regardless of what you go through in this life. Let the hope of glory be the lens that you look through this world with. Because he's called you, he's saved you, and he'll never leave you by yourself. Amen.